Tonight we're going over the millennial reign of Christ. It's a good topic. It's a happy topic. It's wonderful. The reason I chose this was obviously because I had went over the tribulation for a few, a few weeks while Pastor was away. And while I was in the mood and while it was relatively fresh on our minds, I figured why not? Let's just go ahead and do the millennial reign of Christ. Before I before I talk about this, there's a verse, a couple verses I'm going to read that aren't on my slides. John says in Revelation 22, right at the end, he says, the last few verses of the Bible, he says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in his book. Those are some pretty heavy words. I talked with Mr. Thomas this afternoon as I was reviewing over the lesson. And I mean, all scripture, you come to it with that type of reverence, but when it says that specifically about the book of Revelation, it, it opens your eyes, especially when you're the one teaching, because you don't want to do anything that is contrary to what is being taught. However, that would, that's, that's enough to scare most preachers not to even step in the book. But when we go back to the first chapter of Revelation, John says, he says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So there's great warning that we must beware when approaching this book, but there's also great blessing which makes it worthy to go in and to examine. So tonight, with all the care that I possibly uh, can, I'm going to pray, ask God to uh, bless the lesson, and may we stay right on track with what the book says. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity once again. Uh, that our church has a Bible study and a prayer meeting on Wednesday night. What an up uplifting time it is. Definitely one of my uh, favorite services throughout the week as we study some of this book of Revelation and other passages of Scripture around the millennial reign of Christ. May we approach it with care. Uh, if there's anything I'm not supposed to say uh, that I'm adding, that I'm taking away, please uh, remove it or add it uh, to my words. In Jesus' name, amen. A little bit of backstory as we look into the millennial reign of Christ. Again, we talked about the tribulation. Repetition is the key to learning. So I'm going to ask you this again. I think I've asked every single time that I did the tribulation. What are the two, uh, the two, one, the two main reasons we would say that the tribulation that is going to come, the seven-year tribulation, the great tribulation, is different than the tribulation we face on a regular basis? What are the two? It's worldwide. And the way that men are going to behave and the way that men are going to act, they're going to act as if the end of the world is coming because it pretty much is. And today we have a lot of talk about the end of the world, but really most people are not acting as if the end of the world is here. I have not gotten an electric car yet, and I don't plan on doing it. I do feel like Tesla is pretty nice, and they got some nice features. I think it's a little bit out of my budget, but uh, I would buy it for the features, not for saving, saving the world. But anyway, 
So the, the tribulation, seven years we have where God is pouring out his wrath upon humanity. Uh, two reasons why. One is uh, to judge the unsaved world. And secondly is to prepare Israel for the coming Messiah. And those are the two main reasons. At that time, uh, we see that the emphasis switches from the church because the church has been raptured out before the tribulation starts. Daniel 9, um, 27 is the start of the tribulation. And the emphasis switch, switches back to Daniel's 70th week where Israel is now the main focus and God is finishing up that last week, which is the equivalent of seven years. And through that time, we see uh, three different categories of judgments. Does anybody know? Can anybody maybe give me one of them? I hear a lot of whispering. The seals. Good. The bulls. And the trumpets. Good job. A little quiz for you. You guys did great. Good. And so uh, we have some they keep getting worse and worse and worse. We go with the trumpets, and then the last four of them are the uh, woe judgments. And then we come to the bowl judgments, and as the sixth one finally finishes up, the river Euphrates is dried up, which speeds up uh, the army coming into uh, the land of Palestine there. And they all meet in the Valley of Megiddo, and there's different conflicts going around at the same time. This is the Battle of Armageddon. and all attention seems to be right on that area, and that's when Jesus Christ comes back at the second coming, and they turn when Christ is coming. There's, there's some sign that precedes his coming that people know that he is returning, and they turn, and they turn their emphasis on him to war against him. That does not go very well for them. I think the verse says, uh, and when... He shall appear in flaming fire, taking vengeance with his holy angels, taking vengeance on them who know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Those are pretty tough words. And so he wipes out the beast and the false prophet. And of course, Satan, the beast and the false prophet, they're cast in, immediately cast into the lake of fire. And then the um, second verse. Uh, the last verse in Revelation 20, 19, I'm sorry, um, it says in the remnant, verse 21, in the remnant which were slain with the sword and with him that sat on the horse and the sword proceeded out of his mouth and the fowls filled were filled with their flesh. And so after the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire, we see that he finishes up all of those folks who are at difference with him and are against him. And then we see the angel come down in chapter 20 of Revelation and takes a hold of Satan and casts him into the bottomless pit where he's going to remain for a thousand years. So that is leading up to this millennial reign of Christ. And we're going to look, I'm going to read the first few verses of Revelation. And it says, And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. By the way, I highlighted each time it's mentioned a thousand years because we're gonna, we'll talk about that in just a minute. So that's why the emphasis is there. And cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. 
And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. few more verses, but the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. We have some facts about the millennium, the millennial reign of Christ, the word millennium, it doesn't appear in Scripture. We came across this same type of uh, situation when we talked about the rapture. The word rapture is not found in Scripture. It's a word that we use that describes the events that took place. Also, when we think about the word trinity, I've given you that illustration before. The word trinity uh, is not in the Bible. The closest thing that comes to it is the Godhead which would refer to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But those are words that we use to describe what uh, Scripture, the information that Scripture is giving us um, about certain things. And so the Trinity, the rapture, uh, the millennial reign of Christ is another one. The word millennium comes from two Latin words. I have no idea how to pronounce that word, but it means 1,000. And the other one, which means years, and in the Greek, um, that is the word that is used, and both, the, both these words describe a thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. And as we just saw, Revelation chapter 20 is the only place in Scripture, by the way, that says that the millennial reign, that the reign of Christ on the earth is going to be for a thousand years. It's the only uh, place where a time frame is actually, is actually given. And in that passage that I just read you, it occurs six times, and there is definitely an emphasis on those six times for a specific reason. As we move on to what is the millennial reign of Christ going to be like, it's important to look at the characteristics and um, kind of how everything is going to be during that time. Oh, my thing is all slow here. I'm risky here, and I'm putting it all. I'm over here. Peace. The first char characteristic is peace. I think that's a wonderful one to start out with. By the way, many of these came from um, Dwight Pentecost. Got a great book on that. Um, some from Ryrie. Some uh, from some other Bible doctrine books that I that I came, and it's kind of a collection of some of those. And uh, just for your information, there's good. There's good information on that on this topic if you are looking for an in-depth study. There's peace, Isaiah 2, 4, And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's huge. That is huge. People are going to live at peace, not just our individuals going to be at peace where where they are have peace in their minds. This is where there's going to be worldwide peace because Christ is going to be literally, by the way, I stress the point, he is going to be literally ruling and reigning, not figuratively ruling and reigning as some theologians try to push out. 
but we believe in the literal interpretation of Scripture. I don't think there's any other way to view Scripture than to take it literally. It means what it says and says what it means, unless it tells us otherwise. And Christ is literally going to rule, and he is going to establish peace on the earth. I mean, this is, it's going to, really, I don't think we can comprehend how good it's actually going to be. Some of you that have grown up, maybe a World War II generation or had parents that were part of that, you know about, Pastor Bill, I think, talked uh, just the other day, he was talking about leaving his house unlocked. They didn't have a lock or they didn't have a key or something along those lines, and they just left the house unlocked. I can't even imagine that. I mean, I can't. I go back and I check my car three, four times. I don't even have anything worth stealing in there. My car's not even worth stealing. But I lock it, and I make sure it's... I can't even understand that. Some folks, they, they're used to... They just leave the keys right in the ignition. Anybody remember those days? You leave the keys in... Wow. Wow. That's what it's going to be like. There's going to be national, national peace. Imagine, imagine how this is going to change uh, economics. How much money is spent towards defense budgets? How much money is spent on the military? Right now, you send, they, we send young men and, and women into boot camp, and they learn how to fight. It says they're not even going to learn war. They're not even going to learn it. So they understand that when Christ sets up his throne, that it's something that's not going to go away. They don't even need to practice these things anymore. And so the economics are going to get better. Imagine humanity as a whole, what humanity as a whole is going to be able to accomplish, putting all their efforts towards not just making sure nobody takes my stuff, or not sure nobody invades me, or nobody violates me in any way, and the world is going to take such a complete turn, but there's also individually, there's going to be peace as well. Right now in the world, people don't have peace. I'm not talking about national, I'm talking about individually. People do not have peace. They can't lay their head on their pillow at night because they're not settled, they're uncomfortable. Also, there's going to be joy. Again, the world lacks joy today. The world lacks joy. We understand joy, and sometimes we lose sight being Christians for maybe many years, we lose touch with what the world goes through. Maybe you can think back in your mind to before you were saved and how you didn't have joy in your life, not, tempor- not temporary happiness. I'm talking about true, true, utter joy. It says in Isaiah 12, 3 and 4, Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation, and in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. Do you notice something about this description of joy right here? Notice that it's not centered at all upon you. It's not at all centered upon things that you have. It's not centered upon, oh, I have joy because I have prosperity. I have joy because I have a few dollars in my bank account. I have joy because I have a lot of stuff. I have joy because I have a bunch of friends. No, the joy that is going to come during the millennial reign of Christ comes from nothing else than Christ's presence being on the earth and providing that joy and that salvation and the understanding about what you're actually experiencing. If you're not experiencing joy in your life, it's because you don't understand, you must not understand the position that you have 
in Jesus Christ. And that joy is going to be overwhelming. People are going to be happy. There's going to be smiles on their faces, on some of your faces. They may crack, crack a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. You guys are wonderful. But people are, are going to truly be happy. I mean, suicide, from everything I hear, suicide's at an all-time high. It's not getting better. Mental health gets talked about all the time. Even here in the Olympics, we're talking to people about mental health. And all I can think is these people must not know Christ. Because someone that has a good, solid relationship with Jesus Christ shouldn't, should not be struggling in that area. Should not be struggling in that area. So, there is going to be joy. What else do we have? There are many characteristics. There's no way we're going to be able to name them all, but we'll look at some. Holiness. Holiness. It says, notice most of these verses are coming out of Isaiah. By the way, uh, J. Vernon McGee, I was reading some that he had to say about the millennial reign of Christ, and he made a statement that the Old Testament prophets talked more about the millennial reign of Christ than about anything else. Never really heard that before. But it seems like it could be accurate. And J. Vernon McGee, he was a pretty upright guy. So maybe it's true. I have to look into it. And it shall come to pass that after he has left Zion, and he that remaineth in Jerusalem, he shall be called holy, even everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem and the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Those are pretty harsh things that are said in there, but it's about holiness. Again, I can't wrap my mind about around what true holiness is. I understand that true holiness is no sin, purity, nothing wrong with it. But God's holiness is almost in a totally different way. Not only is he, does he not have sin, that corrupts him, but he's also positively good at the same time. He's not just somewhere in the middle. He's positively good. And the only way that this holiness is going to happen is when we see in verse 4 that he's going to wash away the filth of the daughters of Zion. Oof. And he's going to purge the blood of Jerusalem from the midst of by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. And the only way this holiness is going to come is by getting rid of the sin that is in the world. Matthew 25, right at the start of the millennial reign of Christ, uh, is the judgment of the uh, goats and the sheep. And that's part of it right there. I'm not going to have time to go into all that. But God understands something about sin that we don't understand. I tend to have pity on sin. I, I tend to have pity and go easy on my own sin. How about this? I go easy on my own sin, go hard on other people's sin. How many of you can relate with that? That true, right? But even I find myself from time to time going easy on other people, other people's sin. I'm not talking about just, oh, a little tiny white light. I'm talking about some bad stuff. I say, oh, maybe that's really not all that bad. It's bad enough to send you to hell for eternity. In Sunday school, we were talking about uh, a little bit about this topic and about hell and sin and God just must understand something about sin that we don't understand. It must be so bad that that's what it takes to, to get rid of it. And it's easy to sit back and we try as humans in the world, especially the unsaved world, tries to judge God's motives about why does he do that. He just seems like a big, mean God. 
the things those people are doing, is it really that bad? Well, we don't see sin the same, same way God sees sin. Also, it's not a bad thing to pray for, that God would allow us to open our eyes, that we could understand, hey, that thy kingdom come, thy will be done. These are the things that I want to experience, and hopefully, by God's grace, you want to experience in your own life. Peace, joy, holiness. We also have glory, glory. What in the world does that mean? And then the moon shall be confounded in the sun. A shame when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his ancient ancients gloriously. The idea of glory has to do you're seeing something for its true value, what it truly is. A book I read many years ago, it, it described it described glory as when you are looking out a window, maybe at a beautiful tree, and the window is dirty and it's smudged, it doesn't bring glory to that tree that's outside that beautiful plant that God has created. There's no glory. Your, your vision is skewed, and the glory of that is, is skewed. But when you take some Windex, those harsh chemicals sprayed on there, inhale them, and you wipe it down, you get it all clean. The key, by the way, is to not use a lot of Windex. I don't know if you knew that. My mom, well, I'm not getting all that. I'm not getting all that. Back to the Bible. So when you clean the window, it brings glory to what you're looking at there. And, it, and you get to see that beautiful tree, that beautiful plant for what it truly is. And when we bring glory to God in our, in the lives, in our own lives and in the lives of others, we say, well, we just want to bring God glory. We want people to see God for who he truly is. And so when we go out in our communities and we go out and we start bragging on God about good things that he's done and blessings he has given us and maybe even some hard times that he's put us through, but to help us get us to a place in our life that we truly need to be, and we say, God is good, what's it doing? It's, it's smudging the, the fog off people's minds about their view about who, they, who God is in their mind, and it gives them a clear picture about who God truly is, and we are giving God glory. And when his presence comes to rule and to reign here on earth, I mean, the moon doesn't have nothing on the glory that God's going to put out. The sun has no glory in the brightness about what Jesus is going to put out. And God is truly, and Christ is truly going to experience glory. And men are going to be giving him glory as well. There's going to be justice. Now, for wicked people, this is not a good place to live. Back when I was in high school, I was a rebel. I was definitely a rebel. I did not appreciate justice. I didn't want justice. Well, I, I'd say I want justice when somebody does me wrong, but I was not a fan of justice at all. I didn't like it. I never liked when the principal came down and he tightened his belt loop. You know, what I mean by that is he tightened the rules down a little bit harder than what they had been. Oh, I don't like that. It was the right thing to do for him, but I didn't like it. Why? I did not like justice. There's a world out there who does not like justice, and they would feel uncomfortable with Christ's presence being in their lives, ruling and reigning, and them having to live by a righteous standard. The verse we have is, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it 
and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Something he's going to do himself. There's going to be no crooked lawyers and crooked attorneys anymore. There's going to be actually, how about this, no need for them. Because Christ knows exactly what happened. And he's going to deal with it immediately. He said, it says that he is going to rule with a rod of iron. There's no going up there and pleading your case. Oh, oh, this is the situation and trying to smudge the facts and find loopholes. There will be no loopholes. There'll be no getting away with anything. And for the upright person who seeks righteous living, this is a breath of fresh air. Because there's a horrible world out there who wants nothing to take everything you have, take your dignity. Horrible. Another characteristic of the millennial reign of Christ is there's going to be instruction. What do I mean? And it shall come to pass in the last days in the mountain of the Lord, the Lord's house shall be established at the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow unto it and many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go to the mountain of the Lord and, and to the host uh, and to the house of God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. There's going to be something in the hearts of men and women around the world that want to learn at the feet of Christ. Maybe similar to how the disciples felt, how they were surrounded around Jesus so personally and so intimately, and he is going to teach humanity his ways. Another characteristic is there is going to be a reversal. We are going to see a reversal of the curse. Things are going to start going back to the way they were before sin corrupted this world. Isaiah 11 says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child. I highlighted that for something we're going to touch base with a little bit later. Um, but I did that really more for my sake that I remember to talk about it. And a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of an asp, and the, and the uh, weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. So that's talking about serpents. In that last verse, that little children, like my boys, they're going to be able to go up and they'll be able to go out in the palmettos. I tell them now, don't go in the palmettos. Don't do it. Do it, do it. Definitely don't go out to Pastor Bill's house. They're out there at Pastor Bill's house. You, you get out of your car and the ground's moving. That's how bad they are. No, they're not that bad. But I tell my kids, don't, the ball goes and goes off deep in the palmettos. I say, don't. Don't go in there. I'll go get it for you, you know, trying to save them, trying to save them. I'm a nice guy. But children aren't going to, there's going to be no worry. There's going to be parents aren't going to be, you know, okay, go out there and play. They're not worried about some guy coming by and snatching up their kids. They're not worried about sending their teenage daughters over to Coconut Point, afraid that some bad, bad person may get a hold of them. As we hear, Things like that happening all the time. There's going to be peace. The lion is going to lay with the lamb. And you see, see that. No more, no more need to go on that for time's sake. 
we'll finish just this section here. There's going to be sickness that is removed, sickness removed. And the inhabitants shall not say, I am sick. People that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. Sickness is going to go away. There's going to be a healing of the deformed. Something that uh, chokes me up, bothers me, is, is seeing, you know, folks who have, you know, birth defects and blind and, and deaf and those things. And I, I think to myself, because I get to experience, God's been gracious to me, I get to experience everything ultimately this world has to offer. And at this time, there's going to be a healing of the deformed. The deaf are going to hear the words of the book, the eyes of the blind, they're going to see out of obscurity, out of the darkness. Jesus, when he came, we got a glimpse about what he was going to do. He was going to, he began to heal people, raise the lame, let the blind to see. He did that locally. But when he comes and he sets up his millennial reign, it's going to be worldwide. Him coming was really just a glimpse about what was actually going to happen. Just a few more, just a few more, and we'll finish up. There's going to be maturity and longevity of life. I think 100 years is a long time, but some of you, you say, no, 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 as it's getting closer. There shall be no more thence an infant of days. I think that that's referring to uh, someone who is physically old, but mentally they are slow. Nor an old man that hath not filled his days, for the child shall die an 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. Reproduction by the living. I mentioned, I highlighted that one verse a while back about the child, a little child, because that's during the millennial reign of Christ. So there are going to be children that are going to be born during that time. That's what I wanted to mention. Revelation 20, verse 8, And shall go out and deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. He's talking about Satan, Gog, and Magog, to gather again to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. When the millennial reign of Christ begins, there is not that many people, most Bible scholars don't believe there are that many people that are on the earth, but a thousand years goes by and the devil's loosed. He goes out and deceives the nations and there are people that are as the sand of the sea. So children are going to be born. Uh, definitely if the lifespan is lengthened to what we just read in our last slide, more children are going to be able to be had by, I mean, there's, Probably 8, 9, 10, 12, 20. I, who knows? How do you women like that? Good. Maybe childbirth. Ooh, maybe childbirth will go back a little bit to where there's not much pain, no suffering. That'd be great. It'd be great for the men, too. We appreciate that. There's going to be resurrected believers that are around during this time. Reminds me back to when the Pharisees tried to trip Jesus up and says, well, when, you know, what about a, a guy who was married? Is he, when he gets to heaven, is he going to be married to his first wife or to his second wife? And Jesus says, well, you're not going to be, uh, you know, given in marriage just like the angels are. So this is going to come from people that have um, entered into the millennial reign of Christ that have lived through the tribulation and have populated the earth. Some other things that I'm not going to mention for time's sake, I'll mention these. And then we'll close, maybe pick it up another time after my vacation at some point, maybe. And, uh, but it's unified language. What is the world going to be able to accomplish with one language?
we're almost there right now. I can take out my phone to somebody who doesn't speak my language, and I can go on there, and most of your phones are capable of doing this, and I can press a button and talk into it, and it translates it to them in Spanish or in Portuguese. You name the language. I mean, that's where the world is, the world is at right now. And there is going to be a unified language during that time. There's going to be agricultural prosperity, unified worship. How about we're all worshiping the same God? How about we're all worshiping the same God in the same way? How about we're all worshiping God and not having a bunch of little divisions? Because Jesus has set it all straight. What about we got people we love that we have differences with? That's all going to be gone. It's going to be peaceful. There's going to be preaching as well. Isaiah 66, 19, it says, And they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. People are going to be going around bragging on God. The millennial reign of Christ is going to be a wonderful time to be on this earth. And after the tribulation, it's going to be a much-needed thing. And so there is a little bit more to this lesson, uh, but we'll have to get to it at another time. Uh, Let's pray, and then Pastor Bill, come do prayer time. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to look at some of these things, and we thank you for uh, some of these characteristics that we've had the opportunity to look at, and you have given us a glimpse, just a glimpse into how good your reign on this earth is going to be. It's something that men uh, from all ages have have longed to have, even back at the days of the disciples, they were longing uh, to be free from the oppression that was over them, and may your kingdom come, may your will be done, in Jesus' name. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.